0: just past seven o'clock and not a lot of time to dilly-dally tonight because we've got a packed show on tap for you it's iron sports on the true oldies channel i'm mike balsamo i don't even know if we can talk about where you've been because we got so much to get to before we get to our first guest so ira we talk about how much we love the draft on this show one of the things that annoys me about the draft is especially you know once we get like two weeks away i feel like a lot of journalists and members of the media are just throwing stuff against the wall to see if it sticks just doing crazy stuff I like people who are accurate. And our guest, who we're going to have, Charlie Campbell, in just about three minutes, he's about as accurate as humanly possible when it comes to NFL drafts. He's going to be a great guest.
1: Look at the stats. So you talk about statistics because we talk about stats so much on the show. He led all NFL media in correct picks in the 2017 and 2019 NFL drafts. He led all NFL media in draft rumor accuracy 15, 16, 17, 18, and 20. It's amazing. WalterFootball.com. I'm telling you, go just go on WalterFootball.com. You will get... Every insight, everything in pieces. I, I've I've used this guy for years in terms of. There's a guy Walter, and then there's Charlie, and they're just amazing in terms of the analysis and. And I can't wait to get him on because I want to congr- I want to talk to him when he's on the line. But I love I love talking about the draft, and this is a great resource. And I I, I tried to get him last year, and, and they were so busy. I'm so happy that he's on the show today. It's gonna be this is gonna be great. Get your pens and papers out, and you can learn everything about the draft right now.
0: I don't want to mention the ESPN names that do this, but you know there's these two guys who do drafts every year, and it seems like that's what everyone bases their Draft office is what these guys choose. Whereas looking at Charlie's draft, he's got people all over the place, and it's not the same thing that you're seeing on TV. And it rarely goes the way that ESPN predicts it. It's usually completely different, and that's why we've got guys like Charlie who are actually doing the research.
1: Well, I think one thing that you see from a lot of these these uh, when you see something on ESPN, it's like the other teams are feeding information. They, they're not. They they so they're so they're following what the teams are, rather than saying, "Wait a second, I know what I hear from the team. and hear rumors, but this doesn't make any sense." Mm-hmm. And they're just and that's what I think that's why I think sometimes ESPN just follows it because they're being manipulated by the teams in terms of what the teams are telling them what they think they're going to do.
0: Yeah. And this is unbiased and it's going to be awesome. We'll have Charlie Campbell of Walter football just about uh, one or two minutes here. And then at 730, Terry Ballman is going to come on. And you may not know that name, Ira, but this guy's really important. And it relates to the draft. Well, because we keep hearing about Trey Lance, Trey Lance, Trey Lance, and he's the quarterback. And now you heard the
1: rumor that he could go third to the 49ers. So the point is, who is Trey Lance? And Trey Lance played 17 football games at North Dakota State, which I'm sure nobody's been watching North Dakota. They don't have the North Dakota State football package and watching Trey Lance play. Only 17 games, but he was his high school football coach in Minnesota and coached him in like 40 games. So he if anybody knows Trey Lance, it's going to be Terry Ballman. I'm excited about that.
0: It's going to be great. I think we do have uh, Charlie Campbell on the line now from Walter Football. Charlie, thank you so much for joining us here on Iron Sports.
2: Thanks for having me. Good to be with
0: you. So, Charlie, before I turn you over to Ira, just one thing. Does it ever bother you? You know, you know I, I study the draft intently, but there's not that many sources to get information from, from mainstream media. And oftentimes they're very wrong and things go off the rails quickly. So, when you're doing your own draft boards, do you sometimes scratch your head at what you're seeing the national media put out as opposed to what you guys think is actually going to happen?
2: Uh, yeah, definitely. And I think it's in part because uh, I kind of approach it in a different way. I really listen to scouts, uh, teams, directors of college scouting, coaches, uh, and I use that to really put together my projections more so. I don't watch ESPN. I don't. I also refuse to talk to agents. I learned that lesson <laughs> years ago because they had... They have an agenda. They're not always going to feed you the truth, you know. So I just really lean on people who know more than I do, and I just try and. And when I'm at a decision on where to project a player, I just fall back to, well, this is where a teams teams are projecting them. So I'd rather be wrong. Uh, by rolling with that than just going off my own thoughts and feelings because at the end of the day my opinion about players is irrelevant what is relevant is where teams value these guys so that's what
0: I pursue absolutely correct
1: and I was telling uh, Charlie about uh, my listeners about your site WalterFootball.com it is I use it during the year I use it during the uh, just going to college football games and saying okay Penn State's playing Iowa who in Iowa should I be following all those things but then you also have because not only do you have the 2021, but you have 2022, 2023, and then you keep up your old drafts so you can go back and look to see, oh, where did you have Mahomes? Where What mistakes did you make? Most people don't. Most people go back to their old drafts and fix them so they're like <laughs> perfect, 100%. So I just love your analysis of the players. I love your analysis of the teams. So I'm just so excited to have you on it. And I suggest everybody go on walterfootball.com. And you also have a book called A Safety and a Field Goal uh, out, but just every that use that site because it's to me the best resource to really understanding the draft.
2: Thank you. Yeah, I mean we we work it hard, 365, and uh, you know, and start looking ahead uh, within a year or two of that draft, and just kind of getting a gauge on who are the players that could be in that class. So, uh, I mean, it's a it, they're already the advanced NFL scouts. Uh, the teams pool them together for national. Football, scouting, and whatnot, those guys are already looking at the spring games and uh, spring practice if they're allowed to watch this year, the craziness and all. Uh, so they're already looking at 2022, and so it's a long process, and it's really fun and exciting to see how it evolves.
1: And I think, as just to lead into it, because of the pandemic, because some, most there was a number of these first-round picks that didn't haven't played football in two years. Um, there's was no combine. Do you expect this year just some surprises? The fact that a lot of these players sat out last year, um, could there be surprises in the first round or second? Whereas, who knows if, if these players how they stayed in shape, what they worked on, other players that might have moved up a uh, lot's maybe up in the air coming because of the pandemic.
2: Absolutely. It really hurts some players. And I think, you know, is teams who even scouts who are a bit more understanding of players who set out have said, you know, well, I know our team is going to, uh, if we have two guys graded similarly, similarly, we're going to end up going with the guy who has more recent tape. And, who has more experience because they don't have the combine. You didn't have pre-draft visits, going to all the team facilities, workouts there, local workouts, all the other parts that are normal with the draft process. So I do think you're going to see more surprises this year. You could see uh, some shocking names slide and fall lower than expected.
1: And then, so just to jump into your, your draft, you have Lawrence uh, going to Jacksonville course, and then Zach Wilson going to uh, the jets and then the 49ers pick. That's the one that people have been, it's all over the board. I mean, here today, Trey Lance, it's like a stocks up and down, but you had in your, in your draft, you had fields going there uh, to the 49ers at number three.
2: Yeah, I, you know, I agree that that's really the big mystery and, I asked around a lot with teams uh, after the trade was made and the days following about who the 49ers were targeting and, you know, they most, for the most part, team sources thought they were targeting uh, fields. As one GM said, uh, if they wanted Lance, I don't think they would have had to move up as high as they did. And if they wanted Mac Jones, I think they could have traded the other direction. So uh, I think that fields is the target, but, I think the 49ers are doing a good job of uh, playing things really coy and getting out a variety of of options to make everyone guess and uh, just to try and, for them, make sure the Jets don't take their preferred guy.
1: That's what I, you know, Mike and I talked about that last week. It's like they don't want to say we love Fields, we love Fields to make the Jets say, wait, maybe we should draft Fields instead of Wilson. You know, it's like if you, we all play fantasy football and you're not going to all your friends and say, I really want this guy in my fantasy draft. Like, they'll ask you, what do you think about so-and-so? Oh, he's
0: okay. You know, those things. Charlie, do you think it, it, it where do you think the love for Mac Jones, I feel like it was like a month ago, and now all you see everywhere is Mac Jones number three, whereas, like I said, me and I were looking at this, you know, objectively, like, I I don't know about this. It seems like Justin Fields is a better fit.
2: Yeah, I completely agree with you guys. I mean, and in talking with scouts, uh, they like Mac Jones's intelligence. They like the work ethic, uh, his ability to anticipate, but... Across the board, they say they just do not see a first-round, first top-of-the-first-round top first caliber uh, quarterback in terms of arm strength or mobility or playmaking ability. Uh, so I think that the 49ers, you know, Kyle Shanahan has had those guys before, the Kirk Cousins types, and I think after losing to Pat Mahomes in the Super Bowl uh, and seeing the way the NFL is evolving at that position, uh, the success of Mahomes and Deshaun Watson, I, I think that he's going to really be more inclined to end up going with Fields, a guy who can be a playmaker with his feet and do some special things athletically.
1: And then at the four uh, with the Falcons, I mean, some people are saying uh, they should trade out. Uh, Matt Ryan is uh, – or pick a quarterback or what it seems like it's up. But if, if you're going to go for – I mean, the Falcons think – I mean, the one thing I think is Arthur Smith and, and, and their owner, like, they want to win. And the idea is you have still – Matt Ryan is, like, 36, 37 years old. I mean, go with the tight end and Kyle Pitts, and I think that's what you had in your, your draft is Pitts going to the Falcons.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think the kind of hidden part of all that was when they restructured Matt Ryan's contract earlier this offseason. I think when they did that, they basically locked him into being their quarterback for the next two years. Because in order to trade him, it is just going to be a nightmare in terms of the cap hit, the dead cap space they would have to absorb to trade him. And I think that with that being the case, it doesn't make sense to draft his replacement, because one of the great advantages of having a young quarterback is you have him on that five-year cheap contract, and you're going to lose that advantage if you have to spend the first two years paying Matt Ryan a huge amount of money so it really takes away one of the assets of drafting a quarterback at this point uh and like i said ryan uh you know it's gonna it would hurt so much to trade him away contractually and he's still playing well so and you still have julio jones you have calvin ridley entering his prime you have a nice tight end in hayden hurst you give him another weapon like Kyle Pitts and maybe a running back in the second round. Uh, And that team could be right back into playoff contention when you have a franchise quarterback that's still playing well.
1: And now we're getting in the fifth pick in the sixth because we're down here in West Palm Beach, so certainly a lot of interest in the Dolphins, even though it's certainly anyone who listens to the show, I, I fans from all 32 teams. But you have the Bengals saying, let's go to Chase, uh, um, Joe Burrows, a college uh, wide receiver from LSU, uh, who sat out this past year, rather than the offensive lineman, Panay Sol from Oregon, that a lot of people think would go in that position.
2: Yeah, it just it from reading the tea leaves, I think... Uh, Cincinnati might be more inclined to go with Chase uh, to give them a a number one receiver to replace A.J. Green. They signed Riley Rice, veteran left tackle in free agency. This is a deep offensive tackle draft, so they should have some good options there uh, in the second round as well, where there'll be a a pretty big drop off from Chase to the receivers there. Uh, I know I think Joe Burrow's lobbying for Chase as well. (laughs) Uh, but at, at the end of the day, uh, I think that, you know, that's a tough call between the two. You really can't go wrong. But right now, I think that the lean is towards Chase.
0: And then
1: you predicted the Dolphins would go with Sewell. I don't know if a lot of Dolphins would be that were excited. I mean, they would rather have the flashy wide receiver, Devontae Smith or Jalen Waddle. but you have Sewell uh, going to the Dolphins. Would your mind change if the Bengals went with, with Sewell instead? And then would you think the Dolphins would then go for a wide receiver? Or where do you think the, the, what are the Dolphins looking at at six for that position?
2: Yeah, you know, I'm really torn on the Dolphins pick at six if Chase is off the board. I think if Chase is there, it's a no-brainer. But then when you get into the debate between Sewell and the wide receivers, Sewell, uh, you know, you could put him at right tackle, and that's the blind side for Tua. Give you a bookend with Austin Jackson and really help lock up the edges in terms of pass protection. But they took Robert Hunt in the second round last year, uh, so perhaps they feel he's developing well enough to be that right tackle in the long term. Uh, But, you know, the other thing is with the receivers there, both Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell, you have size concerns with those guys. You did sign Will Fuller. So it's not like you're just desperate for a speed receiver. You got a really good proven one uh, in Fuller on the roster. So they really could go either way. I'm torn on that pick. I wouldn't be surprised if I flip around a few times before the final, before drafting hits here.
1: If they decide to go wide receiver and not Sewell, do you think they would take, now both these wide receivers played with Tua, so he knows them familiarly, they played at Alabama, Devontae Smith or Jalen Waddell, which one? And if Chase was available, would they? which would you think of, of those three would they take?
2: I think Chase would be the first choice, uh, given the size that he has is just more of a projectable uh, to the NFL with Waddle, uh, he's put together a little bit more so than Smith in terms of thickness and having a build kind of similar to Tyreek Hill with the Chiefs. So I think he might be their second choice, and then I think Smith might be the third, uh, just given that uh, the 170 pounds, uh, that slim, you know, weight issue. It's harder to project for the NFL. There just really haven't been a lot of receivers, especially in recent years, uh, that have been, you know, star receivers uh, at that weight. So I think that that would be the order that, a lot. from what I've spoken with, a lot of teams, a lot of kind of rank them in that way. Uh, but they have Kyle Pitts as their top kind of receiving option in the draft regardless of position
1: and then you you have the lions picking waddle and then in eight you finally get a defensive player uh horn coming in you felt for carolina do you think there could be a trade that someone with carolina or carolina at this point do you think they're they're happy with sam darnell or some people say well if they got if under your under this analysis either mac jones or trey lance is available would carolina go with the the quarterback in that position
2: no, uh, from what I've heard, uh, Carolina doesn't like either Mac Jones or Trey Lance there in the first round. I think uh, that came into the equation with the Sam Darnold trade. After the 49ers made the move up, I think Carolina believes that that was for Fields and they don't uh, like the projection with Lance in terms of needing the work and field vision, uh, and Mac Jones, I think they just don't see a top-ten caliber uh, quarterback physically. So I think with then they make the trade for Darnold. I think that after that, they would love it if Sewell gets to their pick to be that long-term left tackle. But if he's off the board, I think Carolina is going to look hard at J.C. Horn, the cornerback from South Carolina. Uh, and then also, I think Patrick Sertain, the cornerback from Alabama, is in the discussion as well.
1: I liked how you did the analysis about Horn and Sertain. About they both played against Florida, and Florida actually had a lot of success against Sertain. But Horn was able to shut down all the Florida wide receivers. I thought that was interesting how you how you just looked at Florida with all. It's amazing Florida didn't have a better year last year, considering their quarterback and all the wide receivers they had. It's amazing.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean that goes to show how much of a team sport uh, football is because you had an elite uh, passing attack but they couldn't run the ball which hurt them uh, in games against them like Texas A&M and LSU and then Alabama and they couldn't they didn't play good defense otherwise they would have beaten Alabama in that SEC championship game because Alabama couldn't stop Trask and Pitts and Tony to save their life and Grimes, really underrated player. He burned certain for a 50-yard touchdown in that game. So uh, Florida, it just they didn't have all the pieces in place of team football, but they certainly were dynamic and amazing through the air. And
1: then you have um, Lance going to Denver. So you're saying that Denver, that instead of move on from Drew Locke and, and bring in Trey Lance to be the quarterback there, for some reason they, they like Lance, as you, in your opinion, better than the other teams do.
2: Yeah, that's what I've heard. That uh, Trey Lance is definitely in play for Denver. I think Denver uh, is feeling some regret in terms of the Josh Allen decision, uh, and I think that you know from what uh, they're just what they've seen with Drew Locke, they're just not sold that he's a long term guy. But if they're proven wrong, then that's a really good problem to have. If Drew Locke comes out this year and plays really well, well then you could trade Lance. Uh, and stick with Locke in the long term in 2022 at this point, unless a Joe Burrow comes out of the woodwork, uh, really isn't looking that great at quarterback. So I think for Denver – uh, if Drew Locke turns it around, that's a really good problem for them to have.
1: And you have Sir Tango and the Cowboys. And I'll let Mike
0: ask about your favorite, his favorite team, the Giants. Well, I do, I do happen to be a Giants fan. I wanted to ask you before this because I've been very skeptical of Jerry Reese, and now David Gettleman. How do you, how is the Giants' actual picks ranked out as compared to what you would have done over the last, say, the last four or five years?
2: Uh good question. I mean, I think that. Uh, Jerry Reese had a nice run in the early going there, and then I think some of the decisions in the uh, later years were questionable. Uh, I just didn't understand a few of them. And then with you, lay like all those picks. Think, <laughs> exactly, yeah. And with Gettleman, I, I feel that uh, he he made to me the the Saquon Barkley pick um, as much as he was such an amazing running back. When they didn't have a true quarterback of the future to replace Eli Manning, uh, and they evaluated all those quarterbacks and they decided against um, Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson, they even could have traded up from the second, their second-round pick for Lamar Jackson. So, you know, passing on those guys when you didn't have the long-term guy, and then a year later you end up kind of taking a lesser prospect than Daniel Jones at sixth overall i think that was mistaken evaluation they might get away with it i mean if they really get a good receiver here to go with galladay and barkley runs well next year and the young offensive line develops that could really be enough to help daniel jones turn the corner and turn into a solid pro but at the same time i i don't see him being as good as uh, a league mvp already and lamar jackson and then josh allen Uh, almost taking his team to the Super Bowl uh, during his rookie contract. So, you know, I think he – I think that was mistaken by Gettleman – uh, over the 2018-2019 draft when you kind of it, look at it as a body of work.
0: So you do have, you, you mentioned offensive line, and the Giants have obviously invested a lot in the offensive line at first round last year and Will Hernandez in the second round uh, two years ago. I think that a lot of people want Rashawn Slater here. I don't know if I can go back to the offensive line, and I think you have them taking Devonta Smith.
2: That's right. I do think um, Smith would be their pick if he gets there. I think Waddle uh, would be in contention as well, but I think uh, Jalen Waddle's is going to be off the board. I think there is a good chance Devontae Smith gets there, and I think he would be their pick. I think he'd be a really nice speed receiver to pair with Kenny Galladay, really Im- improve the potency of that passing attack, and then with ingram and barkley now you have some diversity on offense in terms of playmakers and then i i wouldn't be surprised if they look at cornerback in round two
1: and then um we're talking about penn state with barkley you have the penn state we're jumping to the patriots I think a lot of people think, wait, Mac Jones is going to go 15 to New England. Belichick, he's going to be the replacement for for uh, Brady, the similar type of quarterbacks. But you have them taking Micah Parsons of Penn State, who I was a big Penn State fan I've seen for years, but last two years. But uh, I'm surprised that you don't have Mac Jones going to the Patriots.
2: Well, I, you know, that it's a tough call. I mean, you could I could see them doing that because they don't have the long term starter. But at the same time, they brought back Cam Newton and and then they just went on a crazy spending spree, you know, with the tight ends and Nelson Aguilar and uh, spending more on the defense. I mean, to me, uh, that kind of uh, all of that spending and free agency is saying win now, that they want to go out and turn this around quickly. uh, And bringing back Cam Newton, I think, just speaks to. Uh, them looking to win this year, and I think with that being the kind of mindset, I'm more inclined that they take a a player that's going to step in and help contribute right away uh, rather than the the long-term quarterback, but I definitely could be wrong on that. Patriots are really difficult to predict, and like you said, there's a lot of correlations with Mac Jones and kind of the Patriot way.
1: And then jumping down to eighteen, the Dolphins have another pick. Again, you're not going to wide receiver. You're you're, you're thinking they're going to go defensive, the defensive end uh, Payne from Michigan uh, to shore up some of that defense. Even the defense played great for the, you know that was what the strength of the, the Dolphins last year.
2: Yeah, I think they could use a little more edge rush. I think Emmanuel Ugba was a really nice signing and. Uh, played better than a lot of people around the league expected. So that was a job well done by Miami and their front office and coaching staff. But I think they could still use a little bit more edge rush. This is a deep receiver draft. They're going to have some awesome receivers available to them in the second round as well. So with them being loaded up on picks with the high first and the high second, uh, you know, and then the other two, they they're going to have just plenty of good options to consider at wide receiver. Uh, and the pass rushers really drop off. So I think that at 18, there with Quiddy Pay from Michigan, or say Jalen Phillips from Miami, either one of those two would be a great pick for Miami. So
1: if we're sitting there and your draft is going the way you're saying, probably about like 10, 10, 30, Mac Jones is people like, why hasn't Mac Jones been drafted dropping? What happened? Why is he falling? And you have him past the Redskins or the Washington football team and then go into the Chicago bears. So I don't know. Again, the bears are going to try at that pick in terms of trying to finally find a quarterback for that team.
2: Yeah. You know, it just, we've seen it happen, whether it's, Aaron Rodgers or Brady Quinn or Johnny Manziel, you know, we just have we've you know there was hype about Mac Barkley uh, back in 2013. I mean, we've seen it where these their quarterbacks can slide, and with Mac Jones not having really that top 10 skill set, it just would not shock me at all if uh, he got some Bama hype that the media. Uh, loves and part out of being lazy I think and that just <laughs> helps push up some of their guys and uh, so it wouldn't shock me at all if if he is kind of the continuation of that uh, story of quarterbacks fighting lower than the media expected but NFL teams not being really that surprised about it
1: and then one final question. I'm a humongous Pittsburgh Steelers fan, and I'm you pick, have us picking a running, having the Steelers pick a running back, but it's not Najee Harris from Alabama. It's Travis Etienne from Clemson. A little surprised by that in terms of that move, but you only have one. A lot of other drafts have Harris and both Etienne going the first round. You only have Etienne going to the
2: Steelers. Yeah, I, I for me, it just comes down to the team. Uh, kind of fit there and in terms of the Steelers they're in win now mode with Big Ben obviously nearing the end of his career got a lot of veterans on that team and there's few positions that can come in and contribute quickly and hit the ground running and really affect the win-loss column like a running back can and with Etienne he's such an explosive receiver and such a dynamic player in the passing game in terms of a mismatch weapon and a guy that you can really help uh, to generate first downs with what he can do in a third and five situation uh, is just dynamic and special. So I think in that regard, a lot of teams give a slight nod to Etienne in the passing-driven league. But Harris is a dynamic three-down running back as well, solid in the passing game in his own right. So I really think they can't go wrong. But we saw last year a lot of the running backs you know, slide to the second round. Uh, guys who had first round talent like DeAndre Swift or Jonathan Taylor. It's just kind of where the league uh, generally values the position these days. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if it's like last year where we had one running back go in the first round and then some really nice values for teams in the second.
1: Well, again, thank you. This is Charlie Campbell of WalterFootball.com. It's just all you need for the draft. You're going to watch the draft Thursday night, Friday, Saturday morning. Just get on WalterFootball.com. You're going to know all the players. They list them all out, the teams, the, the mocks, everything. It's the easiest thing to follow. I, I, I thank you so much for coming on, and, I, and definitely I, I suggest everybody use your site in terms of analysis of the draft.
2: Oh, it's great being with you guys. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it, and I hope you guys enjoy the draft.
0: The Thank you. Consummate professional, uh, Charlie Campbell from WalterFootball.com. You can follow him on Twitter at DraftCampbell. Great stuff with him. I-, I love knowledgeable people, and he's not using any kind of bias in this. It's like I'm going by what scouts, GMs are telling me, not what I heard on some mainstream media site, and that seems to be a lot of what we get. Um, before we get to our next guest, who's uh, Terry Ballman, should I have him in just a second, You were, were, we were talking off-air about Micah Parsons, and you see him more than anybody else, and I think a lot of people, myself being a Giants fan, I want this explosive, awesome uh, linebacker. I don't know if you were buying in as much as maybe me. Well, I, would, I would
1: watch every Penn State game, watch him almost every play. I think as a, as a freshman, when he came in, I heard the hype about him, and, and I thought he was good, but I didn't think he was was at I mean I've seen all the the LeVar Arrington's all the great linebackers that Penn State has had and people were putting him in that level and I just didn't see it I saw that he was good and then the next year as a but that was only as a freshman a lot of times it takes some time to develop and then the second year it's felt he improved uh, but I just it wasn't this all-American the best linebacker in the country now in the Memphis game in the Cotton Bowl he had the game that I expected but that was only for that game and I just don't I mean I know everyone has him going high I'm a big Penn State fan I love to see Penn State players do well I just don't know if He's like, I'm nervous. Like I just see him I, on many plays. He, people say, well, he was a defensive lineman, but I see him pushed around and I don't see the speed all the time. I think it's going to be a problem for him. And I it's, again, I'm a little nervous about, about where he, now that's why, look, a lot of people had Michael Parsons going in the top five.
3: Yeah, I saw and, that.
1: And now he's back at like 15 and 16 and that's what they're having now. I think that's what they're also seeing.
0: We do have our next guest on. It's coach Terry Ballman uh, from Marshall High School. Um, going to be a great guest. And uh, thank, uh, Terry, thank you so much for joining us.
3: Well, thanks for
0: having
1: me. Iron. Uh, Terry, we just had a draft expert on talking about the draft, and you were fortunate to coach one of the players that's in everyone's been talking about it, is Trey Lance uh, when you coached him at Marshall High School in Minnesota. So, uh, thank you so much for coming on Iron Sports. Uh, again, it's, a, it's an honor to have you on because I have a lot of my friends in high school football uh, who are coach high school football teams in Pennsylvania. And, I mean, they if you talk to a pro coach, I heard Tom Mike Tomlin talking. He goes, um, the high, high school coaches have it much harder than I do. <laughs> I have to deal with, as high school, we have to deal with parents and everything else. So, again, I really appreciate your You're a well-established coach uh, the, the, you know, with your winning streak, winning record and everything. So I appreciate you coming on the show.
3: All right. Thanks for having me.
1: So when you were coaching in Marshall and Trey was younger, you have this, you probably have a very good development program of elementary and middle school. When did you start realizing that, that this is, this kid is something special, that he's not uh, just another player, that he's someone that could in maybe five, six, seven, eight years could be playing on the high school team.
3: Well, you know, growing up, we we're a town of about 14,000 people. So uh, I run all the youth programs and everything growing up and see the kids there. And, and Trey was always a running back when he was younger in fact his, his dad Carl was our eighth grade football coach and in, in eighth grade uh, we needed a backup quarterback. Uh, Trey was playing running back so we asked Trey to switch to, to uh, be the backup quarterback and then as a freshman he came to me and, and asked to play quarterback so uh, uh, that's when we got started with quarterback but but we had Trey all the way up from second grade. I remember telling my wife Jan in, in ninth grade that we didn't know as a quarterback yet but I said trace, Trey's going to be a special athlete. He's just got that vibe about him and, and his work habits and and his desire and focus. You know, his, his goal setting was, was extremely high and, and he was a good player and a hard worker. So uh, uh, we knew probably about freshman, sophomore, he was going to be special. We didn't, we didn't know that he was going to be what he's turned out to today, of course.
1: And then grow, and then his father played football in the CFL and the World Football League, so has that background in terms of a professional football. That must have been a, a helpful for him growing up and learning how to play football.
3: Oh, it's extremely helpful. His dad, Carlton, is is uh, uh, played in the CFL. Was rookie of the year CFL. I had a tryout with the 49ers. and. And uh you know he was from Southwest. We have a Division two college here in town and, and came back home and and uh, uh, was actually a defense coordinator at the college for a while. so he's got a strong defensive background, and I think that that you know helped lead to Trey's personality of that that physicalness you see and and uh, you know Trey played both ways for us as a as a safety and, and course quarterback, and then also returned punts for us. so uh, he did a little bit of everything and and he's a well-rounded football player.
1: Well, I mean that's the one thing. I mean, the school is a smaller school, so unlike some of these other quarterbacks that go to these huge schools, or that you know, they, they're only playing quarterback, he's intercepting passes, he's playing defense, he's playing the whole game, playing sixty minutes. I, don't, I guess sixty minutes football. I don't know how many minutes you played in a high school game back then, but it, play. But but internally, he's playing both sides of the ball and special teams.
3: Yeah, he he did everything for us. Obviously, you know, uh, we got about eight hundred kids in school, so uh, we. We got an athlete like that. We're going to put him on the field have some really good teams. And uh, you know, I remember the one game he blocks a field goal and takes it back for a touchdown. And, and, and you know, that might have hurt his recruiting process a little bit, being so athletic on both sides. Because then, then he got labeled by some of the recruiters as athlete. And, and we knew he was a quarterback the whole way, but but you know you get that label and, and sometimes it's hard to change it.
1: Well, he was a three year starter. Um, you, oh, the only losses he ever had were in the state playoffs. Uh, was uh, undefeated in the regular season, and his passing numbers weren't so high because you just had such huge leads that you really just had to run the ball more in the in the third and fourth
2: quarters.
3: Yeah, we had, we had some good teams there, and, and uh, we, we didn't get to play probably five second halves with with Trey Lance. Uh, uh, we also had a, a very good tailback at the time named Jefferson Lee that ended up with 108 career touchdowns. So uh, uh, multiple times the games, you know, competition-wise over at halftime, and, and those guys didn't get to play to put up the gaudy numbers. But uh, I go back and look at his subtle tapes, and he looks like the same guy. So uh, he was a special player. He, he just maybe didn't get as much notice because our size of school.
1: And I heard you talk on, on some other times about his work ethic and, and even in high school, how he's just focused and, and, but also the fact that he's intelligent, I think he had a 4.0 GPA and he's studying, like he was at, he was, he was, he was, he was literally a senior quarterback in college while he was in high school in terms of his, how he took it, uh, how he focused on being a quarterback for your team.
3: Yeah, he he can do so many different things, and and uh, he's a, a student of the game, and he's been around football, so he understands it. And and uh, we always say, uh, you know, our 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 kids come in and work hard, and, and and Trey was was our best athlete at the time, and he also our hardest worker. And when you put the two there together, and he's the first one in the in the school in the weight room, and the last one to leave, good things are going to happen. Of course, it's happened for Trey. And
1: I'm from Pennsylvania, and I remember there was this great high school quarterback named Jim Kelly, and his whole goal in life was to play at Penn State. And Joe Paterno said, no, we'll put you in as a linebacker. And he goes, no, I don't want to be a linebacker. I want to be a quarterback. So he went down to Miami. He was a quarterback there. And I remember when Miami came to Penn State and he won, and people were saying to Paterno, it's like, why did you have him a linebacker? He just beat beat the, the Lions. And so sort of with Trey, he wanted to go to Minnesota, but they were pushing him to be more of a linebacker and not a quarterback there.
3: Yeah, he was he was looked at anywhere from wide receiver to quarter or uh, linebacker to safety and, and go on there and we, we we knew as soon as they offered that we were not interested. So uh uh Trey's a guy you want the ball in his hands at the end of the game and and he felt like that with his personality and I knew he was and, and you know, NDSU, D S U I I had relationships with their coaches from my hometown, Waterloo, Iowa there and and uh they were in right away the whole way. They were just hoping somebody didn't come in late and and snatch him up, but uh, it worked out great for Trey at NDSU.
1: And I, I, am sort of offended when I hear people say, "Oh, NDSU, North Dakota State is it's a it's a tier below program." I mean, it is the top FCS program. It is could probably play Division One programs and beat a lot of Division One programs. So the point is, is that he went to a program that is very, com- you know, very, you know, very good program per se.
3: Paul, oh, very good program. You know, national championship there. And I think the last six times they've played power five schools, they've they beat them. So uh, uh, the level of football at NDSU gets overlooked a little bit. And, and uh, you know, as far as quarterbacks go, when we looked at that, you know, you had Carson Wentz and Easton Stick, and both of them already in the NFL. So it, it's really produced some great quarterbacks there, and we thought Trey would be the next one.
1: Right. And then, you know, I like the fact that you're his high school coach, but he stays in touch with you, talks with you and and goes through his, his years when he was at, at North Dakota State. So it was great that, you know, I think that to have you as a resource to to talk about like what's going on. It certainly is the sophomore year when he has completed 67 percent of his passes, 28 touchdowns, no interceptions. Uh, pretty exciting to be part of that.
3: Yeah, it was pretty exciting to be part of it. And, and uh, uh, my son, Brad, was playing college football at the time, so we didn't get to go see any uh, NDSU games that year but this fall for the showcase game I guess we'll call it we got to go see him there and it's fun to see him in person and and see him mature we had we had his younger brother Bryce on our team this year so and his dad Carlton coaching so uh, uh, we've been around the Lance family pretty close yet.
1: And you know him as well as anyone in terms of this media crazy frenzy and the draft and everything's changing and people say oh he won't be able to deal with all this And but uh, how, how do you think in terms of I mean you, you mentioned about him being well grounded and uh, in terms of how do you think he's going to deal with once he goes to the pros and if he gets drafted into a big city or even whatever even a small city it's football is king everywhere
3: yeah we, we talk a lot Trey and I do about being Trey Lance and, and don't forget where you came from and and he's, he's always done that. His faith is very strong. And when he was in high school, he was a, a regional rep for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes and, and represents Southwest Minnesota in that. And, and uh, he's kept that faith. And, and uh, uh, he comes from a good background. And I think he'll, he'll handle it well and, and understand, I, I, you know, be who you are and, and don't try and be anybody else.
1: Where has he been working out to get ready for the the pro days that he had and everything? Has he been staying in, in, in Minnesota, North Dakota? Like, where is where is his base of operations for it? I know it's difficult during this COVID in terms of where to where to get your workouts in.
3: Yeah, I, I don't know if he's got a base. He's been out in, in Tampa. He's been in, in Sarasota. Uh, he worked out in Atlanta for a while. And then the, uh, the last few weeks, uh, he's been in, in California working out in the last couple of weeks have been working out with one of the 49ers quarterback
1: coaches. Oh, that's awesome. Well, uh, Terry, thank you so much for coming on iron sports. I really appreciate it. I mean, it, it just shows the fact that I just was able to reach out to you and you wanted to come and talk about one of your players. And I know you're really busy uh, with, you know, getting ready for you know, as your duties of being a high school football coach and, and with the school. So thanks once again for coming on, Iron sports and, and talking about Trey Lance.
3: Well, thanks for having me. It's always fun to talk about Trey and, and, uh, Hopefully, down 10 years from now, we'll be talking what a great prospect he was. <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: hope, I hope so. I hope so. Thanks again, coach, and good luck next year.
3: All right. Thank you. It's
0: 742, Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel. Ira, usually we get into the where you've been a little bit earlier than this. So we had great uh, great guests tonight here so far on Iron Sports. Been a little bit of a whirlwind. We've got about 18, 20 minutes left to go, and so, so much to cover. Um, You had mentioned on last week's show, you weren't sure what you were going to do this week. Not all that much going on, but you made it down to a heat game, and... This ended up being a really good game to be at.
1: Wow, what a game that was. And I was excited to be there. And you know how much I hate the Brooklyn Nets, and I love the Miami <laughs> Heat. So this <laughs> yeah. is one I had to. And it was so funny. When they put the tickets on sale earlier in the week, they were so expensive. And then the prices just kept dropping and dropping and dropping. So it was great to go down there and see exactly the – I was there what, a month and a half ago uh, at the Hawks game, and there might have been like 500 people. This is much more. I think they're down to like – I think it's 20%, 25% at the game. And so there were more fans there. I made a lot of mistakes, rookie airs. I parked in the parking garage which I never park in. That was stupid because <laughs> the line to the parking lot it took forever. And the food situation, you better eat before you go to the game because the way they make you order your food, you have to put it on your app. And then they when I ordered a Coca-Cola. It was 20 minutes to get the Coke and then you have to drink it in a little area that everyone's crowded That's around bizarre. eating their food. It's the whole thing. So when you go to the heat game, just eat up before or eat after or whatever because you're not going to be able to do it. <laughs> and of course, I rushed down there for the game and I missed the first Few minutes and I all all Kevin Durant played was four minutes. So that's all we got to see of Kevin Durant. <laughs> you saw
0: 25%. I saw, I saw,
1: I saw well, actually I missed he played four. I saw like the I got in there around 10 30. I, I never am late for games, but the traffic was so bad at that garage.
0: No, it's crazy. Um yeah, so you didn't get to see much of the Durant. We weren't expecting uh weren't expecting you to see that much with this the way this team's been. Tell us about this game though, because this was one that it went down to the buzzer. It went down to the buzzer. I again, the heat, this is they had lost to Phoenix.
1: Um they had which and it shows when they brought in Trevor. Ariza and lost Crowder, who Crowder was one of these players that He's sort of like a fourth or fifth man or sixth man on a team. And every team he goes to wins. It yeah. just He just wins. He doesn't put up the big stats. his stats are the same. But he's on Phoenix, and now they have the second-best record in the West. Last year was in the Heat. They came to the Heat, played so well. And Ariz is sort of the replacement. And Reese hasn't. He's played okay, but not like Crowder. And it just seems like Crowder just does so much more. So when they got blown out by Phoenix, it showed that. Then they got lose to Denver. And then they lose to Minnesota, which is the worst team in the entire league. So this was sort of a must-win for them. Olo Depot has been injured. And, and now with Noah Linick, they made that trade. Olytics playing for Houston and um, Anolo Depot now is out. He might not come back the rest of the year. It's just like, I just, it, it's struggling. And then Jimmy Butler did not play in this game. So you show, whenever you go to an NBA game, it's like, who's going to be there? Because I thought well, there was no evidence that there was no notice put out that Butler wasn't playing. And I knew Harden wasn't going to play. Uh, Harden wore a very nice tie dye outfit the whole way. You could not miss him in this <laughs> dance in, on the thing. And then, um, and then Durant played the four minutes. So it was really just the kind. Kyrie Irving, you know my favorite Kyrie Irving player, and uh, and and again, Kyrie Irving. When you see him in person, I. I Again, do not compare him to Steph Curry. Steph Curry, when he no. doesn't have the ball, is running around, trying to get open, working for shots. Kyrie Irving just, just give him the ball. He's a great one-on-one basketball player, and that's all he is. But he doesn't play defense at all. I mean, Steph Curry plays defense better than Kyrie mm-hmm. much better than, than Kyrie Irving. But Kyrie Irving just wants to have the ball, dribble, and make a play, and he does nothing else. And when he drives for a layup, it, you're going to have a fast break the other way because he never runs back on defense, <laughs> never at all, doesn't play defense. And then on offense, you can see why on these teams, like Landu Shamet who most people don't know who he is, but he's playing actually, he scored 30 points for the Nets. So Shemet was on fire. He had seven threes, draining threes. So he shot an open three, and Kyrie's yelling at him, like, pass me the ball. Like, he's screaming at him to pass it to Kyrie. I'm like, this guy's just drained three threes in a row. Let him keep <laughs> shooting the ball, Kyrie. He's going to score 30. And then at the end of the the, the, the exciting thing was at the end of the game, it was back and forth, so close the whole way. And they, it was like 107, 101, 101 Nets. Up six with 331 to go. The Nets don't score the rest of the way. Griffin missed a shot, Jeff Green a shot. And Kyrie comes down, no passing, misses three straight shots. Now the Heat weren't that great on their own. They're missing shots, but they sort of battled back, tied at 107-107. Bam has the ball. They don't call timeout, Bam at bio, and he goes and hits like a 15 foot. It was great. No dunk or whatever. a normal mid range jump shot to win the game with no time left. And I just like that was that was great to see. But it was it was exciting. I mean, and look, the, the, the nets, everyone thinks, oh, the nets when they get everybody together, they were out rebounded 53 to 28. They they were ever at twenty five no, rebounds. It. They're not trying this team is not they are they are going I saw the Warriors versus the Celtics on Saturday night the one the Celtics won 119-114 Curry had 47 points Tatum had 44 I think the Celtics would beat this team. I'm not sold on the Nets. I don't care. Durant Philly's is playing great too, and Dur- and they're not healthy. This team, it, 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 to think that they're going to play two months of playoff basketball and stay healthy between Harden missing games. They've only played seven games as the big three. They've only played seven games, uh, and Durant has has played it, 24 games in the last 700 days. I mean, it's just and he's and he's <laughs> left four, and he's left four of them with injuries. So I mean, Durant is is brittle and he's getting hurt. Kyrie doesn't want to play every now and then, and then you have Harden who's now hurt. I just don't see this team. I, every, the Nets are the favorite to win the NBA. They're the favorite over the Lakers, and I don't even. They might not win two playoff series, let alone. They're, they're not going. I don't think they're going to get to the finals of the of, of the
0: East. It should be uh, interesting to see how it plays out. But yeah, if they don't stay healthy, I, I, I don't see how this can happen. Um, Dwayne Wade is going to be a part owner of a team, and it's not the Miami Heat.
1: <laughs> well, I think this is cool. And I wanted to mention this because he was, he's friends with Ryan Smith. Ryan Smith, Smith uh, started a, a company called Qualtrics, which is, a, a, I guess, a tech company in Salt Lake City. And Ryan has always wanted to buy the Jazz. The team owners didn't want to sell it. I mean, there's only 30 teams. It's hard to get these teams. So he was trying to buy the Timberwolves, decided not to buy the Timberwolves than the Jazz. He was able to buy the Jazz and he brought in Dwayne Wade as a as a, as a partner uh, and certainly he's putting up a certain... I, we don't know what the percent is but it seems like Dwayne's going to be active in terms of the running of the team which will be interesting to have him come in and, and be that. Uh, and then Mickey Aronson the owner of the Heat said well we wanted Dwayne to be in part of our organization but I don't think they would have let Dwayne be like... in He's not calling shots. He's not calling the shots and it seems like Smith who has no sports background at all <laughs> wants to bring Dwayne in. I think this is a great... And, and also Dwayne Wade... Lives in LA now, and he and he skis at Park City, so he's there all the time, anyway. So this, I think, this made perfect sense, and I, of course, he's a heat for life, but he let him go into on his own. I mean, that's why Jordan owns. Jordan would prefer to have owned the Chicago Bulls, of but he's it's not available. So let I, I think it's great. I mean, Jeter bought the Marlins. I mean, you have to just take what opportunities these teams are not available. You can't just go to the store and say, "I want to buy an NFL
0: team" or mm-hmm. something like that. It, it's kind of funny how it does work out in hockey. You see Lemieux get involved with the Penguins. The two most successful GMs right now are Steve Eiserman and Joe both played for Detroit and Colorado, not so much in NBA or other sports. And
1: then Alex Rodriguez and Mark Lohr, who was the one who invented Mark Lohr, Lohray, started Jet.com, another tech company. And they bought the Timberwolves for $1.6 billion. So A-Rod is a baseball player buying a basketball team. But again, that involvement. But in in Shaquille O'Neal owns the Kings and Jeter with the Marlins. And Grant Hill is a part ownership of the Hawks. But no, I think it's great. I think it's great that he's been involved in this. And it'll be interesting to see what happens with the Jazz. According, they have the best record in the West. So he's going to a
0: winner anyway. Ira Sports, True Oldies Channel. at 7.50. I'm Mike Balsamo. Let's go to uh, baseball, Ira. And you don't want to really put too much into early baseball. We're not even a tenth of the way through the season yet things don't look so good for the New York Yankees. They look great for the Dodgers, and the Dodgers might... This Dodgers team is probably better than they were last year when they walked into the World Series.
1: Well, they are playing... The, the Padres who are... this They're is a good like team. A, you're Everybody makes $300 million on the field. They're all superstars everywhere. And if the game... The only bad thing is the game ended like 2 in the morning. It was 12 innings on Friday night. Um, the Dodgers won 2 out of 3 series, but the, they had a 5-2 lead. They blew it. Then they came back, and Seager hit a home run in the 12th uh, to win the game. Uh, then the next night, then Kershaw beat Darvish 2-0 and then the, the Dodgers lost on, on Sunday the Padres but it was there was a feel like I think a third of the fans were there I mean it's a great rivalry in baseball you have these two teams uh, just it was aw- it was great I mean I'm like thinking April and I'm excited watching this baseball game and it was they were going back and forth I mean Dave Roberts is terrible manager for the Dodgers but they have so much talent Doesn't so matter. many players <laughs> Clay Bellinger there's one of their star players oh he's out for two months that's okay they have they're, they're a team that spends money but they have the best farm system they have everything Andrew Friedman who ran the Rays, run 13 and that's why the Dodgers are so great.
0: And on the opposite side of the coin, you have the New York Yankees. Oh my gosh, the, this <laughs> it's tough is, to watch, man.
1: They have a two hundred and forty million dollar payroll. The Rays have a f- sixty million. million. their record against the Rays, I think, are, are three and thirteen over the last two years. They lost in the playoffs. They just were swept by Tampa, and this it's just it's embarrassing. The Yankees, they they have a ne- <laughs> Stanton and Judge have a negative w- war, yeah. which they're paying them but million dollars. They're playing Stanton not Judge, so much. the Yankees are hitting two ten as a Team. The Mendoza line is 200. Stanton is 176. Hicks is 160. Hicks has been up 60 times. He's the, hits third in the lineup. His no RBIs. It's it's almost
0: impossible. <laughs>
1: well, I mean, no, I think it's zero. I think it's yeah. zero. How's this, it's impossible to think that you played 15 baseball games and then uh, Frazier, 167, Glaber torres 196. They have, and 15 games, four quality starts, three by Cole, Garrett Cole. Uh, this is a disaster. And then Cashman came out today and said, oh, we're going to stay the course. Everything's fine. I'm telling you, Cashman should be fired. Uh, Aaron Boone should be fired. Needs to go. And, and they both. This is a disaster. And 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 I think if it's only going to get worse, it's not going to get better. They're healthy. This is the one time like they've actually been healthy. <laughs> only Voight's out. Right. They're healthy and they still can't win. And I'd wait till they start getting their. Trust me, Stephen's going to get hurt. Judge is going to get hurt. Like this is five and ten, and they're and they're healthy.
0: So John Sterling, the longtime uh, radio host of the of the New York Yankees. Listening yesterday, and they're p- facing Tyler Glass now. He's having a great season. He's, he's the, the Cy Young if the season ended today. But so Sterling comes out before the game. I think they should change their approach here and just try to make contact. So, they, oh really? Thank you very much, John. Yes, don't swing for the fences every time and strike out 18 times a game. This is this is the strategy for the New York Yankees. They only right
1: have they played 15 games, and only 16 home runs, which is I mean they this is a team was averaging four or five home runs yep. a game. So it's a complete disaster. And I do not. And I'm someone who three four weeks ago said, boy the, the Yankees are great, and I, I was totally wrong on this team. And it, it is the manager; they are playing with no fire at all. And it's it's and you watch you watch the Yankees and Rays play, and that's one game, and the Rays are playing, and then you watch the Dodgers and the Padres—totally two different teams. The Tatis and
0: Machado, uh, the Padres—they're running around; they're excited. There's just no this team. The Yankees are—it's are, awful. It, watching Tampa Bay beat them, it, it shows the glaring holes, and that's what Tampa Bay does. They're good at beating you in ways that you can't overcome, like a New England Patriots type of thing, and they just shellacked us over the weekend was well, not fun to watch um you know what a good weekend Stewart's sink and I <laughs> It feels weird to say that, you know, Stuart Sink. what'd he go, 14 years or something in between wins? But he's back now. He's won twice this year. Well, he's won twice this year. This is the
1: third time he's won the RBG at Hilton Head, RBG Heritage Classic. Mm -hmm. Third time in this tournament. The guy went 12 years without winning a tournament. And he comes, and now he's won twice this year. And he's 47, 47 years old. He looks pretty good for 47. And this wasn't just winning a tournament. He was up by five strokes. He he set the record for the tournament after the 36 holes, out of 54 holes. He had tying Jack Nicklaus and Phil Mickelson. I mean, just a, just a wire-to-wire win. And this field had Morikawa, Dustin Johnson, Daniel Berger, Fleetwood, Garcia. Had a good field. And just and the only thing I don't like about Stuart Sink is that in 2009 in the British Open, Tom Watson, who's 59 years old, is ready to win one of those amazing tournaments. And I was at Kate May watching it. And all he had to do was par the final hole. And he bogeyed it and sink Verdi it and took it away. They went to a playoff. And I was so mad about that because I <laughs> really feel bad for Watson because it was such an amazing thing to see Watson play so well. But but anyway, Sync, he, he finished 12th in the Masters, so it's just a, a rejuvenation. You're seeing some of these golfers come back after years of uh, even Lee Westwood in yeah. terms of all these years and finally playing it at, at, again, a
0: very high level. Never saw that coming. What's up this weekend?
1: The Zora Classic. This is where they have the two-man teams strange. where you have, it's strange, where the two they have like John Rahman, Ryman Palmer and they compare, so they, it's a team event. And uh, for a team event, you're like who's going to enter this? They actually have 11 in the top 25 golfers, 20 in the top fifty. Um, we'll see what happens, but uh but the Zork it's, it's in New
0: Orleans. Are the teams randomized? Do you get to no, pick No, you get to pick, pick. You get to pick, yeah. get to pick. I but, say, I, but I also
1: know. I thought it was like weird. Like I look at the teams I'm like, oh I want to see these guys. None of the teams are that like amazing. Like you wanted to see I don't know
0: some of the guys you like I think but, you see like Justin Thomas and Ricky Fowler. Yeah. yeah something would be like cool. that.
1: They're not in it. So that that would have been exciting to see teams like that. But no they don't have a.
0: Um, let's go to tennis and, and we've got to mention this at the Heat game I think Coco Goff was there well, at the we, game you were at we forgot Coco Goff was
1: there Brian Flores was there and Chris Rock was there yeah. so we got a lot of they were showing all the celebrities and it was pretty exciting to see all that going on but oh no just the Monte Carlo Open usually is if you ever can watch it on TV they play like over the Mediterranean so it's like right on the water it's it beautiful. is the prettiest view in the world and it was Djokovic lost in the round of 16 to Daniel Evans and then uh, he actually beat John Sinner the one we saw at the Miami Open, and uh, Mendevev had to pull out because of COVID, and Nadal, who has won the tournament Ten times he ended up uh, losing in, in the quarterfinals, so it was just a weird. A Rublev beat him, and and uh, it ended to from Greece, uh, who I was like so disappointed to. And Miami comes back there on clay. This is on clay, and he's very strong on that, and had a good win for him on that. And the French Open now doesn't start till June first. They actually pushed it back one more week, hoping they'll get more fans. So people are looking like the end of May to see the French Open. It's now going to be June first for the French Open. You ever go to a Monte Carlo Open? No, I want to go. I got to do this whole tour some. <laughs> Time. I'm going to have to disappear Disappear <laughs> for the NFL draft. I'm going to go tennis. I'll just go tennis, <laughs> tennis, tennis.
0: Well, when you retire from Iron Sports, it'll uh, be a bucket list yes. item. Uh, what's going on in racing? Because I know this was an interesting thing. Okay,
1: week. I talk about racing and everyone makes fun of me. So F1, Formula 1, was a Mola Italy. This track is famous because a lot of famous drivers have unfortunately perished at this track. It's dangerous. They didn't even run it for many years. But Lewis Hamilton and, and, and uh, Valtteri Bottas are the two Mercedes drivers. Hamilton's the best driver in the world. But last year... Bottas people are saying, "Wow, you know, he's not that good." Even though he finished second, he's probably not doing that well. And there's this young driver called George Russell. George Russell is like 22 years old. And they're like, he's gonna be the driver of the future for Mercedes. He's gonna replace Bodis, like replace him, replace him after this year. So they go and they race in this in the Emola. And Verstappen from Red Bull last year was like the third best driver. This year, he's actually better than Hamilton. But the, Hamilton was able to win the Bahrain race. In this race, Verstappen has the lead, is, is leading the whole thing. Hamilton second. What is George? Russell do. So George Russell's driving for Williams. It's like a sub Mercedes team. So he's driving Mercedes, but he's not whatever. So he goes and he doesn't get out of the way of Hamilton and Hamilton then gets to run off the road. So now Hamilton's of the road. He loses his position. It's amazing that he didn't crash the whole car. He goes back on and like 10 seconds later what does Russell do he tries to pass Bottas the Mercedes teammate and they crash the cars and Jeez. now both cars and you and you have a budget like a cap on how much you can spend so now he took his one teammate out and Mercedes the head of Mercedes is like you know we, we this is ridiculous you can't do this you can't be crashing your teammate especially in formula 1 so it's like this big issue but it was exciting but YMX and Verstappen from Red Bull won the race Hamilton finished second but what's so exciting about formula 1 is that they announced this weekend that in 2022, the F1 is coming to the Hard Rock. It's going to how be Miami. Cool. And it's going to be so cool. And they're going to go. They were trying for years to put it downtown Miami, but nobody wanted downtown Miami to have it around the Grand Prix. So they're going to put it around the Hard Rock Stadium. All the top drivers, Hamilton, everyone, they're always it's going to be very exciting to have it at the Hard Rock. Um, and they're, they're, it's going to be a great, they have this whole plan, how they're going to make a great course. So I'm excited for that. we got to do a live broadcast from F1 in Miami. Be, <laughs> that would be great. I'm telling you, it's 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 phenomenal.
0: Tell us about Jennifer for Joe Cobb because this is a really cool story. Well, the
1: story of this is NASCAR is that in Richmond, uh, Danny Hamlin, who's finished at a, out of 10 races, he's now eight, he's finished in the top 10 in nine of the 10 starts, which is just amazing. And he, he led 276 laps, led all the laps and still end up lo- losing to Alex Bowman uh, in the second place. He's come to second place three weeks in a row. And if this was the old way they kept it, he'd have such a lead on points. But now they put more emphasis on wins, which they probably should. But Hamlin is the best driver and all the Toyotas are doing well. But Talladega... A super Speedway is the next race, and Jennifer Jo Cobb, who's forty-seven years old, same age as Stuart Sink, is uh, who's raced in the affinity series and truck series. Will be the first woman since two thousand eighteen, Dana Patrick, to run in a race. I always think that's exciting because I've always think that a woman. This is one where like we're really a woman could actually win a race like this. And she has a car. It's not one of the top tier cars that Rick were are racing. She's a lot of experience, more experience than even Dana Patrick does because she's she's uh, raced in the truck series and in the minor league series. So it'll be exciting to see at Talladega next week.
0: got just a few minutes left here on Ira on Sports. So, Ira, there was a um, a fight, I guess you could call it, over the weekend, got a lot of hype, was not really anything good, but we're looking forward to next week yeah well the Jake Paul against fight it's just unbelievable how be uh, people are
1: talking about this fight and it's just, he's an internet star and he's making money millions of dollars fighting and it just I feel bad because I know how much people have go into boxing and all these boxers that are training and working and it's just unfortunate that that takes away. Uh, the oxygen, like I they say, in the room. But this weekend in Jacksonville, four hours up north, uh, Kasim Kamara Usman, who is uh, the third best pound for pound fighter, is fighting Jorge Masvidal, and they fought just in July 2012, just a few months ago. Uh, well, on like one like one week notice Mazaval got because Burns had COVID and pulled out and had to fight Usman and lost in five rounds but this but taking the fight like he did Dana White promised him look you take this fight on one week notice I'm going to give you another fight so now this is his chance and Usman's a heavy favorite in this fight but Mazaval is known as been this great fighter he says he's the baddest fighter in the planet all this other stuff so I'm excited for that and what's also exciting about this card it's going to be sold out first of all they're going to have 20,000 people inside in Jacksonville but is that they're gonna going to have the number two three four and five women in the world the top four of the top five except for Nunes the champion are all going to be fighting both for the strawweight championship and the uh, uh, and the flyweight championship so it's going to be with, uh, with Zhang Zangwili against Rose Namajunas for the strawweight and Shevchenko and Andrade for the flyweight all of them have been champions so you're going to have four champions fighting each other it's going to be the best women's card ever plus the Usman Mazaval. I'm excited for that
0: so real quick in hockey so I I, I do a lot of work with the Florida Panthers Panthers Panthers, a, a Panthers fan by default. This seems something to watch out for this year. They've always had this skill. And I was talking to my Panthers uh, liaison, and he said to me, like, around the locker room, these guys know that they're special. And that could be a really dangerous thing that they're going to go in here. I think they could take any team in the Eastern Conference at a seven-game series. It could go either way with, say, a Washington or something like that. But they can beat anybody. And that's the first time we said that in a while. They're playing tonight against Columbus. They're up 2 nothing right now. And Carolina and Tampa Bay are playing. If Tampa beats Carolina and Florida wins, they're in first place. In the central division only about a week and a half left to go in the hockey season so it's time to start getting really excited about Florida Panthers hockey down here, and I hope that everyone else uh, is with me.
1: I am go to a playoff game because I have. Yeah. I would love to. That would be that would be great to go. I mean, we had Doc Emrick on what a couple of months ago, and he was high on the Panthers too. Yeah, so,
0: so maybe we can get uh, Randy Moeller or someone from the Panthers on once they make this uh, playoff run. You're excited about the NCAA transfer protocol. I don't know if I'm excited about it. I just want to.
1: We'll mention it. We have so much to talk about in terms of other things with NCAA, but uh, it's just major. What now you're going to have going forward, not just because of COVID. Is that you're going to have players now going that you were allowed to have a one year where you don't have to sit out? It used to be if you someone had to transfer, Which, they sense. had to sit out. Now, but that was only with football and basketball. All the other sports, you could just transfer whenever you want. You didn't, you just just transfer. But then football and basketball, you couldn't. You had to sit out. But now it's it's almost everyone's like a free agent. It's going to be interesting for these teams. And you know, talk to my friends who are coaches. We talk to Mike Isolino, those type of thing. Every year is a new year. Every year, different players are coming in because he's losing his better players to higher programs, and then he's getting pro- players from other programs that are looking. For for different different to come in it's gonna uh, it's gonna be changes but that's a with football and with basketball
0: so kind of tying into this before we wrap it up have you heard about this Super League thing potentially happening with European soccer yes do you think that something like this would happen in the NCAA because I could see Notre Dame you know, it wouldn't take many of them. Notre Dame, because they're independent anyway. You grab a Clemson, an Alabama, a Michigan, a Penn State, and say, "We don't need you guys. We're bigger than the NCAA. We're going to go do our own thing without your rules."
1: Well, I think they're talking about that. Been, the Power Five conferences were, would pull away. Um, the issue is you're not going to have all the other teams in Division One. I. I mean, there's like 80 Power Five schools, and then another 240 that play Division One basketball, uh, and they wouldn't be in that in that thing. But no, it, it, it'll be interesting. And the, the soccer thing is. You're just wondering why it took so long for them to do these. Teams Seriously. have so much value and unlike and the NFL, it just seems like why don't these star teams, like some of these teams don't have any value. It's like in the NFL, if some teams were worth $2 billion and others worth $100 million, then they play each other and everybody in the NFL, everybody's sort of the same amount. They're all mm-hmm. worth billions of dollars. You, it just it, It's going to eventually have to happen where the Manchester United all these other teams are going to be themselves.
0: Well, it's, it, it you know, the UEFA does nothing for them and they just sit there and collect their money and use their likeness. Same thing with the NCAA. They're not really doing anything for you besides setting matchups I'd like to see something like that happen because I think it's it's kind of archaic the way that they've been doing it but well it's neither here nor there for us to decide tonight what are you doing this week um, I'm not sure.
1: Maybe a heat game. We'll see what happens. But, you know, just getting excited for watching the basketball this week and baseball and getting ready for the draft. I mean, the talk, I'm glad we had, I love this show today, how we broke it down. I think our guests were really good with that. Next week, I promise you, I'm working on like the same type of thing, bringing in someone who maybe talks about some of the the prospects and also an overall analysis. So two good guests are going to come next week also.
0: Yeah, we want to thank uh, Charlie Campbell from WalterFootball.com. Also, Coach Terry Bowman from Marshall High School. He's Ira. Mike, we're out of time. Next Monday. Good night. It's Iron Sports.